Well, hello, and thank you for worshiping with us today at Mount Brook Baptist. We're going to turn to Psalm 136. So that's on page 434 in your pew Bible, and I'm going to need your help. So if you'll turn to that, I'd appreciate it. Um, page three, 434, or Psalm 136, if you brought your own copy of Scripture. Psalm 136 is an antiphonal psalm. Now, I just learned what that meant this week, but if you know a lot about music, you might know that term. It's a call and response. And so this psalm is meant to be a call and response. So I'm going to read the first four verses, but I want you to help me with the response, which is four words in this copy of Scripture, His love endures forever. Okay? Would you help me in that way? Let's read God's word together. Psalm 136, verses 1 through 4. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever taken one of those um, tests online that's like a dialect test? It tries to determine what area of the United States you're from. Um, they start with this word for a nut, pecan. Or do you say pecan? Or pecan? What do you say? And then they... Based on what you say, they have this whole diagram where they decide what region of the United States you're from. Another one is salmon, or as they say in South Carolina, salmon. So there's that. Um, okay, now the next thing they might do is show you a picture, and it's a picture of a shoe that you might wear during athletic competition. And they say, is this a running shoe or a tennis shoe? or an athletic shoe, or something else. They might show you uh, this long truck that has room for freight and 18 wheels. Is it a semi, or a tractor trailer, or a transfer truck, or an 18-wheeler? Y'all tell me. 18-wheeler. Y'all must be from the South. People from the South say 18-wheeler. Depending on what you say for all these answers, they try to boil it down to a region or even a state that you might be from in the United States. And over the years, in the translations of the Bible, there's this one word that also has been called a lot of things. And it's not because they get the translation wrong or, or whatever. It's more because this one term, hesed, it encompasses more than one English word can do. So it's God's love for us, and also at the very same time, it's his commitment to us. And so out of the Hebrew classes that I took at Beeson, I remember about three words, and this is one of them because it's so important to the character of God. 250 times we see this hesed, love, on display in the Old Testament, and 125 or so, don't, you know, give, take, give or take 10, are in the Psalms. And specifically, if you look at Psalm 136, it's repeated 
how many times? 26. 26 times the hesed love of, the God, of our God is on display. Now, you might say, I need a little bit more of a definition. What does it mean? Well, it's translated steadfast love of God, loyal love of God. The New American Standard calls it the loving kindness of God. Um, Eugene Peterson in the message said it's love that never quits. But sometimes we need an image, right? And the Bible gives us many images of what this love might look like, especially in the book of Hosea. Hosea marries Gomer, according to God's word. And some of us have been studying this in Sunday school recently. And what happens? Gomer goes off, runs amok, and makes shipwreck of her life and of her marriage. And God calls um, Hosea to pursue her in steadfast love anyway. And she, he runs after Gomer and he shows her this never-ending, unconditional love. This is the love of a father for a wayward child. It's a love of a mother taking care of her baby. It's the love of a friend that keeps reaching out to another friend because you cannot lose that hope that God will work in their lives. And y'all, this is how God pursues us with this unending love. Um, you know, and with every additional reminder in this psalm, he's saying, I love you that much and more. But when we look at this psalm at first, to be honest, right, we're like 26 times repeating the same phrase? It's a little boring, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking, right? A little bit. But when it's antiphonal, meaning call and response, I think... What the psalmist is trying to do is build, build on every phrase. It's like God's love endures forever. And then he tells another way that we see God's love on display. And he says God's love endures forever. And I think at the end it's supposed to be this crescendo of like, yes, wow. God, your love is amazing. It never ends. And we're so grateful for what you've done. And so today... My hope is that as we walk through the psalm together, we'll feel that. We'll feel this excitement about the love that God displays for us. So I want you to look with me, if you will, at verse 5 of the psalm. And we're going to work our way down. Now, as we're reading the psalm, two words are implied at the beginning of verse 5, or 3, I guess. Give thanks to the Lord who, by his understanding, made the heavens. Who did what? Spread the earth upon the waters. Verse 7. Give thanks to the one who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, and the moon and the stars to govern the night. This psalm reminds us that God's love is first revealed to us through creation. Um, God, in his great love and faithfulness, created this world around us because he wanted relationship with us. There's this psalm that I love. It's Psalm 143.8, and it says this, let the morning bring me news of your unfailing love, that word, hesed, 
I have put my trust in you. Now, how does the morning bring us, new, bring us news of God's unfailing love? Well, it might be that there's like this new message that you get in the morning or you find out that something has happened that you were praying for. But I think at the base, we see the unfailing love of God when we see the sun rise every morning. It's just a picture of God's faithfulness to us. Um, the beauty of creation around us, too, all these beautiful leaves, those also point us to God's love on display. Romans says it this way. When creation happened, God's invisible qualities, his power and his divine nature have been clearly seen by what he has made. In other words, when we look around at the sun coming up and the trees and the beautiful landscape, we can, if we will, see God's love in our midst. This is how it happened for me one time. I lived in Mexico City for a couple of years before Wayne and I got married, and I have a friend who was going to come from Mexico to be in my wedding. Now, if y'all don't know me, I'm from a very small town. Mexico City has about 26 million people, and my small town has about 3,000 people. So I was a little bit intimidated, to be honest. I was like, oh, I'm not sure how Kika's going to feel about coming to Calpins, you know? Is that going to be fun for her? And so we're coming down the interstate, and we pull off onto the two-lane road headed towards my parents' home. And I look over at Kika, and she's doing this with her mouth open, just like looking around. And at first, I'm like, oh, no, it's really worse than I thought, you know. But then I looked again, and it wasn't an embarrassed look. It was a look of awe. And I said to Kika, what? What do you see? And she said, look at those trees. They're amazing. Okay, I'm from, rural, I'm from a rural town, and we have lots of trees. Look at those trees, she said. And I was like, trees? What are you talking about? And then I remembered. In Mexico City, you see a tree surrounded by concrete in a park. Okay, Because there's not a lot of landscape with trees. And she came to my hometown, and she saw the trees. And it was a reminder of the beauty of God on display and his love. But because I was around it every day, I was just dulled, dulled to the wonder of God's creation and his love. All right, let's move on through the psalm and see another way that God's love is on display. Look at verse 10 with me. Give thanks to the one who did what? Struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And then it talks more about how this happened. He brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Don't you just love that image? Look at verse 14. It's talking about the Red Sea here. It says, God brought Israel through the midst of it. And then the next verse talks about how God dumps the Red Sea on Pharaoh and his army. Because of God's great love, he delivered the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And he works his deliverance all throughout Scripture. We see it again and again. Look at verse 17. 
talks more about the deliverance of God. Struck down great kings, killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Now, those aren't everyday terms in our household, Sihon and Og. But these are great stories to the Israelite people of deliverance. It's a story of an underdog beating a great king. It's the glory days. Again and again in scripture, Sihon and this battle where Sihon is defeated is quoted as a remembrance of, yeah, remember when God did this for us? You know what I'm talking about. You go to football games. Uh, think about your favorite team, all right? When recently has your favorite team pulled out a win when you thought they weren't going to? And you're like, okay, we squeaked by. Spoiler alert here, but the Swan household, we're Gamecock fans. And recently, we got to go to South Carolina for a game for the very first time for Webb to be at a South Carolina game. And we're playing Texas A&M. Now, none of us thought we would win. I mean, y'all didn't think we would win either. But six minutes into the first quarter, we were up 17 to nothing. We were stealing it. That's okay. But you should have seen my little one, May. She was waving that flag, jumping up to sandstorm. We were like, yes, this is awesome. You know what? We're going to be talking about that day for years. I mean, we beat Texas A&M. Can you believe it? That's what they were saying in this psalm. They're like, we beat Sihon, king of the Amorites, that mighty king. We were on his territory. They had an army. We were just traveling through. The story goes like this. So the Israelites wanted to get to the promised land. But they had to go through the land of the Amorites. And the Amorite king Sihon said, no, can't let you come through. They said, we won't eat anything. We won't drink anything. We'll just go straight through on the king's highway. And the king said no. And not only that, he brought out his arms and he brought his army and pursued the Israelites. And so our mighty God, with an outstretched hand, he defeated the army of Sihon. Now, lest we think the Israelites had it all together, let's look back at Psalm 33, and see where the real power of those who follow God is. Psalm, 1, Psalm 33 and verse 16, this is what it says. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. So it wasn't that the Israelites had it all together, but the eye of the Lord are on those who fear him on those who hope in his, did anybody turn to it? What are they hoping in? His unfailing love, hesed, that God is committed to them, he is loyal to them, he is merciful to them, he is patient with them. And because of his unfailing love, they were delivered. Now you and I know the greatest story of deliverance, don't we? We have been delivered as a people from death to life by the Lord Jesus, our Savior, who has delivered us from the grave to life with him. He's delivered us from sin to a life of freedom from sin. He's allowed us to enter into the presence of the Lord. 
he is our deliverer. And we look back on that story and we say, remember when? God did that. We don't deserve it. We don't have it all together. I'm not a good fighter. God did it. All right, we see God's love in creation. We see it in his deliverance. And we see it in the wilderness. Look at verse 16 with me. To him who led his people through the wilderness. Now this week was tough thinking about this verse for me. As I was thinking about trying to be sincere with this message. Because I know that many of you are walking through a wilderness. And the Israelites, if I look back at their story, walked in the wilderness for 40, 40 years. And some of them didn't, on this side of heaven, make it through that wilderness. They stayed in the wilderness. Um, and so it was just, it was hard for me to think about. I wanted to preach triumph and that God's going to see you through, and he will. That is the real hopeful message. Let's read verse 16 again. To him who led his people through the wilderness. If you have struggles of the wilderness in your life today in health or finances or job-related struggles or relational struggles, whatever they may be, this verse reminds us that we do not enter the wilderness alone. But God through our Lord Jesus Christ, is beside us. He doesn't let us enter that wilderness alone. Think about the beloved Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is our shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear. It's hard. I don't have to. Why? His rod and his staff, they comfort me. In other words, his presence surrounds me. In the midst of this. Um, Paul struggles with this. Miss Sharon mentioned it. In Romans chapter 8, he's really dealing with this because he and others are being persecuted for their faith. They're, they're coming under a lot of attacks because they're preaching the gospel. And some people, it's, you know, they think are responding, why should we serve Jesus if we're going to have to struggle? And this is what Paul says in Romans 8 and verse um, 35. Listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That same theme. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In other words, in the midst of all of these valleys and wildernesses of trouble and hardship and persecution, none of that is going to separate us from God's love. He's there with us in the midst of it. He goes on, verse 38, I'm convinced he's preaching to himself and to us. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, things present or things in the future, anything in all creation, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is most clearly shown to us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Whatever happens in the wilderness, 
Christ's love follows you through it. You know, our Lord says in this life, you will have difficulty. But he also says, I have overcome the world. And that's why in Psalm 136, we say 26 times his love endures until tomorrow or the next day. No, his love endures forever from the womb to the grave and beyond. And that is our great hope that our loving God shows us in creation. He delivers us. He's with us in the wilderness. And then in verse 23, he provides for us in our low estate. All right. Any of you guys use that word low estate? People of low estates? I don't use that often. But I think what he means here is that we are in a spiritually humble and helpless state. And God saw us as sinful humanity in need of a Savior. And so what did he do? He sent our Lord Jesus who humbled himself and became a man. He became one of low estate so that we might be saved through his death and resurrection. You know, the Lord has seen our humiliation in our low estate. The fact that we cannot get it together. The fact that we're undone. We're easily scattered. We're helpless. We sin in thought, word, and deed. And yet, God has made a way for us to have reconciled relationships through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I think when we hear that message from Psalm 136, our response just seems to be, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I don't deserve it. But you love me anyway, and you love me forever. You know, we realize as Christians that the real miracle is that Jesus could love us and that he does. All right, three little takeaways that I have from from this passage. The first thing that I think the Lord is teaching us is to rest in his unfailing, unchanging love. We have this book called Habits of the Household. Some growth groups are using it right now. And there's this bedtime liturgy, and it goes like this. You say to the child, do you know that mommy loves you? And the child says, yes. Do you know that daddy loves you? Yes. Whoever else? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what bad thing you do? And they say, yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what good thing that you do? Yes. Do you know who loves you more than I could ever love you? God does. And then these four words, rest in that love. We are called as a people to rejoice in wonder that God would love us so much that he made a way for relationship with us. And then I think we also make a habit of trying to praise the Lord. Um, our world is filled with so much ingratitude and unthankfulness and kind of callous spirit. 
And it's so refreshing to be around someone who, who, who speaks word of praise to others and to the Lord. I was talking with um, Claire. Claire and Chris Hills have a daughter named Argie. And Claire um, was taking Argie, their toddler, on a little walk. And um, Claire said, Argie, wow, what a beautiful day. And you know what Argie's response was? Wow. She's two years old, not even two years old. She's learning language, and yet she's copying this wonderful praise of God. And then Claire told me that from then on out, everything was, wow, wow. She was taking on these cues from her mom to praise the Lord for his creation. And we take one another's cues as well. And I just encourage you to be someone who points out the beauty of what God has done in this world and for us. And then finally, I think we ask God to help us see his love most clearly in our Lord Jesus and to tell stories of how the Lord has worked in our lives and to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are in the midst of the wilderness, reminding them that God is present with them. Um, do you guys play songs on repeat in your car? Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. I like to play this song over and over. For the last two weeks, the same song has been on repeat. It is the, the song, Thank You by Ben Rector. Have you heard it, anybody? Basically, it goes like this. He says, um, let me see if I can find it. Thanks for the sunrise. Thanks for the night skies. Thanks for the deepest blue in my daughter's eyes. It sounds like he's talking to God, don't you think? I don't know. I think he is. Thanks for the weekends. Thanks for a good friend. And I would add, thanks for Jesus' blood that covers all our sins. And then in the second verse, he kind of wrestles with this thankful spirit, but also knowing all that is bad in the world. He wishes he could go back to a time when he didn't have any doubts or questions, and he says this. He says, life is hard, and sometimes I don't know what to say. And then he burst again into praise. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you. And before the song ends, there's this choir that comes in behind him, and they're like singing thank you, and they're singing whatever he's singing. And he says this, come on, sing it out. Sing it loud. Sing it together. I mean, he's like getting it. Come on, sing it out. Sing it loud so that we can remember. So that we can remember what God has done. And that's what we do. When we come together as a body of believers, we're singing it out. Praise be to the one who created us, sustains us, redeems us, and delivers us, and is with us forever. We remind each other of his faithfulness in our lives, and we sit with those who are in the wilderness, and we praise God together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so as we close, I just want to encourage us to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love 
endures forever. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share from your word. Help us, Lord, to see your love on display in creation, in the great acts of deliverance in scripture and in our lives, especially through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.